0: Morning. It is so awesome to be with you, even though we are physically apart. It's an honor to get to share with you this morning um, from the Word. So let me ask a question to begin. Why is it that a room with a view typically costs more to purchase? I mean, whether it's a home situated on a on a bluff overlooking the water, or a balcony room on a cruise ship uh, heading through the inside, Alaskan Inside Passage, or a room possessing a picturesque window showing a lush green garden, the price tag increases the more beautiful the view is deemed. But why? Because the seller is playing on the thought that your view, what you see can enhance your experience. A better view, a better experience but is that true? Let's see for just a moment if we can illustrate. Right now, wherever you're sitting, what can you see? And I'm not talking about the screen in front of you with the dude that's trying to grow out his mullet. No, what can you see? If you can see through a window or a door, what is the view in front of you? And if you can't see outside, what's the room look like? Perhaps you're looking at a lush green garden with brightly colored flowers. Maybe you're looking at your neighbor's house. Maybe you see the dust on the shelf or weeds in the yard. I've seen a lot of those in my yard lately. Being forced to stay in our homes recently, I expect that many of you have become more aware of your surroundings. Now look again. What do you see? What do you feel? What do you think? Does your current view inspire you to do anything? Maybe the serenity of the lush grass and the blooming spring flowers helps you rest and be thankful. Maybe the neighbor's house reminds you to check on them. Maybe the dirty house leads you to want to get up and clean and make it look nice. Or perhaps the weeds in the yard or the cracked walls of the old house overwhelm you and you just want to go back to bed and ignore the troubles of the world. What we see and how we interpret what we see in our lives matters. And in the adventure of life, a beautiful view enhances our experience. The Apostle Paul uses a picture of the most beautiful realities of life to appeal to the Romans as he lays out the practical imperatives of how to live life. He says in Romans 12:1 through 2 Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Today, we begin a new series entitled Live and Do from Romans 12. Through 15. As a redeemed community, we get to walk through some truths together over the next eight weeks, picturing the most amazing view of life. We have the opportunity to gaze into the marvelous realities of our salvation and learn how to truly live. And if we see, and if we understand, this view should enhance our lives and the lives of others. As we get started, I want to listen to Pastor Wayne describe the backdrop of Paul writing Romans.
1: The Apostle Paul had been in Ephesus for many, many years. He'd been ministering very effectively there. But a lot of the projects were done. The, uh, the great offering for Jerusalem has been collected and sent to help the persecuted brethren in Israel. The church plants are doing really well in Asia and the eastern part of Europe. So Paul turns his attention west. He looks to Rome and Spain where he would like to go. Now he knows a lot about Rome because of his co-workers Aquila and Prissa who are from there and he's become pen pal with Clement, one of the pastors there. And he probably has in mind for Rome to become a sort of Antioch of the West. And so Antioch in Syria was this great financial center and a place from which missionaries were sent. To prepare the Romans for that kind of work in the West, Paul puts together his Summa summa Evangelion, uh, his great summary of this gospel he has shared around the world. It is very likely the greatest thing ever written in human history. And this book of Romans, his Summa Evangelion, becomes our
0: guide for living the life of faith. Thank you, Pastor Wayne and Mr. Monk, for that insight. So, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Romans to encourage the believers in Jesus, remind them of who they are and the life that they have been given, and to unite them to do life because of and for his glory. Hey, kids, you ever had your mom tell you to do something and, and your response is, but but, mom, as a parent I've heard that a number of times and I must confess that I have not answered always as graciously as I should. But the Apostle Paul appears here in the text to anticipate that kind of question, but Why? And what he is about to urge the brethren to do, he appeals to the familial bond as brothers and sisters and, and calls them to look upon the wondrous works of God. As he lays out practical imperatives of the sanctification process of those who trust in Jesus, he, he begins with reminding the believers of why they should listen to the following commands, the reason that he urges them to follow his lead. And he begins, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. In view of the mercies of God. See, Paul desires the Roman believers to, to recall the, the beauty of God's mercies, which he wrote of in the first 11 chapters of the book. What are those mercies? William, William R. Newell has a great summary of the mercies described in Romans chapter 1-11. through 11. Let's take a look at those for just a moment. One, justification, including pardon, removal of sins from us, trespasses never to be reckoned, a standing in Christ, being made the righteousness of God in him. Identification, taken out of Adam by death with Christ, dead to sin and to the law, and now in Christ. Three, under grace, not law, fruit unto God, unto sanctification made possible. It's possible for us to bear fruit. Four, the spirit indwelling, no condemnation, freedom from the law of sin, witness of sonship and heirship. Five, help in infirmity and in any present sufferings, including a pandemic, on our way to share Christ's glory. Divine election, our final conformity to Christ's image as his brethren, God's settled purpose in which believers already glorified in God's sight. Seven, come in glory beyond any comparison with present sufferings. Eight, no separation possible. God loved us in Christ. We cannot be taken from him. Nine, confidence in God's faithfulness, confirmed by his revealed plans for national Israel. See, the mercies of God are amazing, and they are the basis for living out who we are in Christ. The right view of the mercies allows us to live in gratitude and do what the Lord commands. And if the motivation is anything else but the mercies of God, doing what he says is impossible. Remember what Romans 8, 6-8 says. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now stay with me just a moment, I'm going to read a, a long section of the end of chapter Romans. Let's read this together, beginning in verse 28, Romans 11:28. 28. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage, but regarding election, they are love because of the patriarchs, since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. As you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all the disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Now now there's a great amount of content in those verses that we just read. In summary, it shows how amazing God's ways are. He used Israel's rebellion to reach the Gentiles with the good news, and we'll use the Gentiles' receiving of mercy to show Israel His mercy too. He is working all things for his glory and showing the depths of his riches. It truly is amazing grace. And the last line of that section, familiar to many of us, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now I wonder if if anyone besides me gets a little antsy at this moment thinking, Okay, I got it. God's grace is amazing. His his riches are awesome. And everything comes from him. Okay, I get it. But what do I do? It's a good question. And we're going to answer it. Actually, the scriptures are going to answer it. But perhaps, like me, you can miss the gravity of the view of his mercies. And if so, your attempts to do what Paul lays out next will fail. So let's spend just another moment thinking about the mercies of God. Do you remember back in the old, the good old days when we could come to the building to worship together and, and then we w- might have an opportunity to go grab some lunch afterwards together with our, fans, our friends and our family? Oh, the days of yore. Now, in those times when you're deciding what, where to go to eat, you ever have conflict with that family and friends about where to actually go? One person's like, hey, how about this place? Nope, don't like it. Okay, what about, nope, their chips are always stale. And the conversation goes on and on. You spend 30 minutes to 45 minutes trying to figure out where you're going to go. Those conversations can be maddening, and there, and there might be real conflict in those moments, actually. But, but that conflict really is only about simple differing opinions on taste and momentary preferences. And perhaps I'm the only one, but but sometimes I find that I minimize the chasm that that was between God's holiness and and my sin. And if I'm not careful, I can think that, that I simply had a disagreement with God about how to live life. But the truth of the greatness of the mercies is that I was an enemy of God's. His holiness could not stand to let me in the room. He is too marvelous for me. He's too pure for my sinful flesh to be near him. But Romans 5.8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2.1, a familiar verse, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins with which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. You weren't partially dead, not even mostly dead. You were dead. Verse 4 of Ephesians 2 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. You are saved by grace and made alive. Not partially alive. Not mostly alive, but alive. We've been singing the song, Is He Worthy? Recently, um, as a church by Andrew Peterson, let's read a few lines. Is is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave, he is David's root, and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is he is, and it's because he is worthy and because he made us alive by his mercies that we can live and do as he desires. And what Paul urges believers to do in light of God's mercies is no small endeavor. Continuing in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, in view of the mercies of God, Paul also says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This is your true worship. See, Paul graciously, he comes alongside them as a fellow heir in the grace and the mercy of God, and and he leads them to truly worship. With the picture of the the riches of the mercies of, of God in their minds, Paul urges, he beseeches, he appeals to the Roman brothers and sisters to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. To help us understand, let's look at some definitions from Marvin R. Vincent's word studies in the New Testament. Present. It's the technical term for presenting the Levitical victims and offerings. In the Levitical sacrifices, the offerer placed his offering so that as to face the most holy place, thus bringing it before the Lord. Bodies, Literally but regarded as the outward organ of the will. Living sacrifice, living in contrast with the slain Levitical offerings. Paul says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So are we supposed to act as priests and still offer sacrifices? I thought the Old Testament law was fulfilled. Yes and yes. Remember that those who trusted in Jesus for salvation from the sins are priests. 1 Peter 2:5 says, You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You don't. You don't need a priest to offer spiritual sacrifices on your behalf. You get to go before the Holy Lord yourself to present and be a living sacrifice. You know, I I shouldn't be surprised and how the Lord works and how he uses situations to 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 draw people to himself and and highlight the truth, but But I have to admit that sometimes I am. I'm a little shocked at moments when he does things. Recently, in the midst of COVID-19, the Roman Catholic Pope, Pope Francis, told his followers that they could confess their sins directly to God if a priest isn't available during this pandemic. Now, we are told in Scripture to confess our sins to one another. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It's necessary to do so. There is even wisdom in confessing to your, your pastor at the church, but this isn't to gain forgiveness from God, but it's in order to gain help from, from somebody to come alongside of you to wrestle with and fight the sin that can so easily entangle. And there's no need to, to pick on our Roman Catholic friends, as many of us can miss or neglect this awesome truth that Jesus is the only advocate that we need. Let us instead take this moment. And see that the mercies of God, that in the mercies of God, our advocate knows and understands us. And he allows us to come directly to him for forgiveness. And he is the one who desires for us to present ourselves before him. And he made the way for us to do so. Remember Hebrews 4. 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so... The sacrifice was done by Jesus. Why are we commanded to present our bodies as a sacrifice? Let's listen to the quote from Ken Boa. He says, Worship has always been uh, accompanied by sacrifice, but the form of sacrifice has changed under the new covenant. In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices for sin, as well as sacrifices of gratitude and praise. Christ has obviously fulfilled the sacrifice for for sin once for all. And there's nothing that that the believer can add to that sacrifice, but living sacrifices of gratitude and praise are the appropriate, reasonable, spiritual sacrifices to be made by those who live only by the mercy of God. These sacrifices are as much the act of worship of the believer today as the sacrifices of dead animals were the act of worship of Old Testament Israelites. To truly worship our God, who has bestowed his mercies upon us, We are to live as priests, offering daily sacrifices in gratitude to him. And what we are to offer is our bodies. But why our bodies? I thought he wanted our hearts. He wants all of you. Here's some helpful background from Dr. John MacArthur. says it's helpful to understand that, that dualistic Greek philosophy still dominated the Roman world in New Testament times. This pagan ideology considered the spirit or soul to be inherently good and the body to be inherently evil. And because the body was deemed worthless and would eventually die anyway, what was done to it or with it did not matter. For obvious reasons, that view yet opened the door to every sort of immorality. Dr. goes on, Yet Paul clearly taught that the body can be controlled by the redeemed soul. He told the sinful Corinthians that the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Paul proclaimed in Romans 6, 12-14, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of un- for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under law, but under grace. Instead of offering dead sacrifices, we get to offer living sacrifices with our bodies. We get to use our mouths to speak life and peace to others. We we can use our feet to go buy groceries and, and use our washed and clean hands to deliver those goods to someone in need. We can use our ears to listen to the word of God and be, in in the rest of our bodies, to be doers of that word. A number of years ago when I was in Uganda to help teach a group of pastors, our conversation centered greatly on on servant leadership, what it meant to serve others, how to serve our families, our, our, our church people, our neighbors. And as we As we discussed what it meant to offer ourselves to serve the Lord, one of the pastors says, oh, like when my my wife asked me to fetch the water. You see, that was her normal role. She would walk the distance to go get water for the family. I don't remember how far it was, but it wasn't the 10 feet into the air-conditioned kitchen that I have in my house. Occasionally, she would ask her husband to take the long walk to fetch the water. And he began to understand that him taking the opportunity without grumbling, but in in gratitude and in love to lay down his own stuff, his own desire for the moment and go and walk was living sacrificially. He was offering his body to the Lord by helping his wife and his family in that matter. Over the coming weeks, we're going to see more imperatives about what offering our bodies as living sacrifices looks like. But for now, let's try to understand a little bit more about how to actually do it. How do we as believers present our bodies as a living sacrifice? Verse 2, Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's been said that the problem with living sacrifice is that, they, is that they, they keep crawling off of the altar. How quickly do you think that can happen? How fast can someone be conformed or, or fashioned to, to look like the evil things of the world, to do what the world does? One day there was a man who decided not to go to work. He was the boss, and so he let his employees Go do the job for him. While he was at home, he, be, he began to watch something that she, he should have run away from and turned off. Instead, he lingered and he leered and soon after he made a phone call and, and, and the girl came to the house and committed adultery with him. When he found out that the girl was pregnant with his child, he lied to her husband and in a twisted mess of, 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 of foolishness and wickedness, he ended up murdering the man. Now, you and I are sometimes quick to say, oh, we would never do that. But I'm sure that King David of Israel, a man after God's own heart, never thought that he would have done that either. But that is exactly what he did when he decided to stay home from battle and brought Bathsheba to his bed. Oh, how quickly we can become the very things that we hate. Perhaps we were even seeing some wickedness quickly happen in in our beloved leaders around the world. Tasting a bit of power they grasp for more contrary to what they promised long ago. You and I are no different. We can quickly crawl off the altar and seep into looking like the evilness of the world. In order to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, we must not be fashioned by the world and how it thinks, but we must discipline ourselves and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Listen to J.A. Whitmer's comments on transform. The Greek verb translated transform, metamorphoste, is seen in the English word metamorphosis, a total change from the inside out. The key to this change is the mind, the control center of one's attitudes, thoughts, feelings, and actions. As one's mind keeps on being made new by the spiritual input of God's word, prayer, and Christian fellowship, his lifestyle keeps on being transformed. So how how are you doing in having your mind be transformed? Many of us have a little more time on our hands to think. What are you filling your mind with? Some months ago, we had a made-for-more family event here at Frisco Bible to help our parents converse with their teens about purity. The organization Pure Hope joined us to to lead us through the discussion, and one of the presenters made the point to tell us that, that the Netflix CEO, Reed Hastings, in 2017, he was asked, what is their biggest competitor? What is Netflix's biggest competitor? In 2017, Hastings made the comment that their biggest competitor was sleep. Sleep. See, the the enemy is vying for our time and attention. and He's trying to keep us from doing all that the Lord commanded us, to keep us from living the abundant life that Jesus promised. And if he can blur our view of the mercies of God just a bit, and if he can lead us to think that we got this on our own, or if he can make sin taste and look good enough to distract us for just a little while, then we can miss the opportunity before us to live out who we really are. But being transformed by the renewing of our minds changes everything. Being transformed by a mind that is set on the things of God allows us to present ourselves holy and pleasing before the Lord. The result, the result of this is that we get to know the will of God. We get to know the will of God. The last part of verse 2 in Romans 12 says, that you may discern what is the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Let's look again at Whitmer's comments. It says, Paul added, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will these three qualities are not attributes of God's will as the NIV and some other translations apply rather Paul said that God's will itself is what is good well pleasing to him and perfect good for example is not an adjective but a noun God's will is good good i.e. for each believer he goes on as a as a christian is transformed in his mind and is made more like Christ he he comes to approve the des- and desire God's will not his own will for his life Then he discovers that God's will is what is good for him and that it pleases God and it is complete in every way. It is all he needs. But only by being renewed spiritually can a believer ascertain, do, and enjoy the will of God. Brothers and sisters, the objective of our new series, Live and Do, is this that we would show lives continually being transformed through the grace of God. We're going to learn a series of imperatives that, that should be part of our sanctification process. Not in order to earn God's favor, but in order to show his favor, his mercies already given to us who believe in Jesus. The only way to do what we are called to do is to know who we are. In view of the mercies of God, you are a saint. In view of the mercies of God, you are a priest who is able by the grace of God to present yourself as a living sacrifice to him, holy and pleasing. Because of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection, you are heirs of the grace of God, the Father. And by his spirit, you are able to know the will of God and do what he says. We began with the question, does a beautiful view change your experience? In and of itself, a physical view cannot. But a beautiful view is valuable. And if you understand what that view Means if you understand what is before you and how to use it and how to be thankful for it, it will change your life. What is your view right now? Is it beautifully filled with the thoughts of God, His amazing grace, His mercies that He's giving, or is it, is it blurred by the worries of this world? Fear and anxiety about the job loss and the sickness. Is your view darkened by the constant message of impending doom, weighed down with lust and greed? Brothers and sisters, let us fight to be renewed in our minds to have a clear view of the mercies of God so that we may present ourselves living sacrifices to the one who saved our lives. Some of you listening right now may realize that you are still dead in those trespasses and sins. I urge you to call on the name of Jesus for salvation. He died to pay the wages of sin on your behalf and he came alive to offer you life. If you trust in him now, you you will be able to see clearly the mercies of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is it is amazing to to take a moment and think about the the majesty and the glory of you that allowed us to to be saved that that chasm was so big that that there's nothing that we could have done to to jump that that gap but you made a way while we were still sinners Christ had died for us and and he rose again and and because of that, we are justified, those who trust in you, your son. We're justified and, and we have the opportunity now to live life abundantly. But oh God, the, carrier, the cares of this world and the, the, the shiny things that, that bring out our, our greed and our lust, they get in the way. And God, I ask that you would help us to focus That we would continually renew our mind on what is righteous, what is good, what is holy. That we would spend time that we have now more with you than with Netflix or even with sleep. God, spur our hearts to see your greatness so that we don't want to leave your side. And in doing so, encourage us to get up and go do your will. Give us energy and creativity to serve those in need, the ones next to us, the ones far away. God, give us the ability to do, to present our bodies as a sacrifice. Whatever it takes, help us to see your goodness and offer ourselves on behalf of others. For anybody, God, that does not know you that is listening now, I ask that you would pierce the heart and help them see their, their need for you, and may they come to know you. We love you, Lord, and we look forward to, to how you continue to work and use these times to draw people to yourself. And we're grateful for the ability to, to see that happen. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.